I recently had the pleasure of interviewing both Shatan Parkin and Carola Eastwood, the authors of a new book entitled The Book of Destinies. To listen, go to Podcast 610. Shatan is the founder of Human Design and has spent over 30 years perfecting the Human Design tool, which is used to help people find their true self. What is it that you have come here to do? Be and express to the world. Human Design gives you the real insight into the hidden elements of your personality. If you want to experience a sample of the Human Design Report, please go to www.humandesignforusall.com to get your no-cost mini-report. Please listen to this wonderfully informative podcast, number 610, with Shatan Parkin and Carola Eastwood on their new book entitled The Book of Destinies. Thanks for listening, and here's your host, Greg Voison. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison the host of Inside Personal Growth. And uh, Will, as I do, every time I come on my shows, I actually thank all of my listeners uh, because without them, uh, there would be no Inside Personal Growth. Um, And today, joining us from the San Francisco Bay Area is Will Keepen. He's a PhD And he has a new book out. Actually, it came out in July, but it's still new in terms of books called Belonging to God, Spirituality, Science, and a Universal Path of Divine Love. Uh, The foreword of his book is by Thomas Keating. Good day to you, Will. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Greg. It's a joy to join you on this show. And just a slight correction, I'm from the Seattle area. I used to be in oh. San Francisco Bay Area, but now I've been in Seattle area for the last 15 years. Oh, sorry about that. I thought for no some reason uh, we were speaking with you there. So that's fine. Then great. You're up in, well, the, in the beautiful Northwest. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to let my listeners know something about you because I think it's important, especially when you're talking about spirituality and religion, that people have um, an understanding of your background. So He's a leader in the interfaith spiritual movement. Uh, He's a mathematical physicist. He's an environmental scientist. And he's been a practitioner on contemplative path of divine love for over 35 years. He's the co-founder of the Satana Institute and the Gender Reconciliation International with his wife, Reverend Cynthia Bricks. Uh, this is a nonprofit service and a training organization based near Seattle. The Institute's programs have been conducted in ver- uh, venues across the United States and in India, South Africa, Australia, Kenya, Croatia, Colombia, UK, and Canada. Uh, Will's books include Divine Duality and Women Healing Women, co-authored with his wife, and the Song of the Earth, and together he and Bricks conduct trainings, retreats, workshops nationally and internationally, encouraging individuals, communities, and organizations to combine their inner work to the heart of outer service in the world. And for all of you that are out there and want to learn more about Will, you can go find him at pathofdivinelove.org. That's pathofdivinelove.org. So, Will, um, as I understand it, the the underlying premise of your book here, Belonging to God, is really this uh, urgency today for an understanding of how 
world religions and traditions share this universal spirit spirituality. And as I had mentioned, you know, there is a lot of uh, separation going on. And a lot of people would say to you that your your philosophy and belief is contrary to what they might believe. But I think it's good for you to explain that, you know, religions have done more. We hear this many times to actually divide people than unite people. Um, we see fighting, we see unrest, we see people killing one another, we see all kinds of things happening. And, you know, it doesn't bode well uh, for what's going on. What's your explanation uh, for this, if you would, and w- why you believe that, you know, love is so important here? Well, it's true what you say, that there are many conflicts in the world that have been uh constellated around religious difference, and that religions uh, often get um, exploited in certain ways and com- become complicit in fueling uh, these conflicts. I don't deny any of that. But the fact of the matter is that the religious traditions contain at their core a profound transformative technology, if you will, for transforming the human soul into becoming an instrument of a very profound love. That is core to the traditions. It is found in the mystical branches of all the religious traditions. And this is something that really needs to be brought forward and emphasized because the religions are different. They differ in terms of their outer forms, theologies, practices, liturgies, but in terms of their inner essence, the religions are actually strongly united as one. And the analogy I like to give to explain that is that the, you can think of the different religions like the different trees in a forest. You know, some of them are tall and thin. Some of them are wow, you know, wide and round. Some of them have leaves. Others are evergreens. But all trees in the forest are rooted in the same invisible waters in the deep ground beneath, and they all stretch up vertically to the one light above. In a similar way, mm-hmm. the religions are rooted in that unity of divine light, really. And so I wrote this book to really bring that aspect forward. Well, that's, and I think it's important. I, I remember recently, and I've I've known Dr. Post for quite some time, and there is an institute for research on unlimited love. And there's been, yes. there's been a lot of work in this area. And Dr. Post and I became very good friends as a result of that. And I, and I do believe what you're saying is true although it is not being exhibited by the behavior of many individuals in this world today. So it's very tough for people to actually see beyond that. And I think what's important is books like yours let people see beyond that. So why did you choose to focus on Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism specifically uh, throughout the course of your book here uh, to to exemplify or talk about these differences? Because you could have used... Uh, Judaism, you could have used Buddhism, you could have used all other kinds of religions, but you chose that. Yes, I chose those three religions. Uh, I certainly wanted to include uh, Christianity and Islam, since there's a lot of contention uh, between those religions at this time. But I also chose Hinduism, um, because that way I'm covering really the oldest and the newest religions. I'm covering East, West, and Middle East. And also, um, I the book, in kind of dialogue with the publisher, they wanted the book not to be so long as to become sort of a big tome. 
And so there was an encouragement to choose uh, the, the traditions that would enable the book to be remain readable, while at the same time I could go into enough depth in the traditions to do justice to them. That was one reason. The other reason I chose those three traditions was I wanted to reclaim the term God, because God has also become sort of uh, unpopular in certain ways because of all the violence that's been done in the name of God, and because of all of the misconceptions of God as some warlike tyrant, you know, or some kind of white man with a beard in the sky. And so I want to reclaim the profundity of what God stands for. And in those three religions, God is very prominent. In, and so I wanted to deliberately, uh, in a certain almost provocative way, bring God back into the center of our lives by really writing a book about the essence of God, which is this divine love really, and articulate across the scriptures and the mystics and the practices of religions this universal path of divine love that really becomes evident once you delve into it. Well, you know, you're kind of an unusual character, Will, because, you know, if you if you go out into the world and you speak to scientists, you know, spirituality and science, even in today's world, whereas in the prior times, we used to have a blending of that. <clears throat> but many of the scientists out there, and there's some that do, but it's a small percentage, um, actually identify with science and say, hey, we recognize this. And you speak of this emerging revolution in religion that parallels what you call recent scientific revolutions. Um, what is it that you're referencing in there, and how might this happen? Well, there is a beautiful... Uh process in science, where as science evolves, new paradigms replace old ones, and the old ones are seen to be extremely limited uh, in the face of new data. And I'm suggesting that the world religions are coming to a similar place. You know, what's happening in the critique of religion today and in the new atheism that's emerging is there's a, an explicit focus on what I call the dumbest and dimmest elements of religion. And they're certainly there. I don't deny that for a moment. But what I'm choosing to do is focus on the best and the brightest aspects, and then a whole unit of vision begins to emerge. And what the way that I'm suggesting that there's a similar revolution in religion is to say, take, for example, relativity theory, Einstein's relativity theory. And that really emerged, the special theory of relativity emerged from two postulates. The first was that the speed of light is the same in all reference frames. And, and the second was that the laws of physics should be the same in all reference frames. And I'm applying those two postulates to religion and saying that the laws of spirituality, whatever they are, the ultimate truths of spirituality should be the same across all religious frame frameworks, and that there is a universal divine light that functions the so, same in so, all religions. Well, you're saying you're saying there's a parallel going on here. We're actually seeing something, you know, it's almost like two universes, but the reality is is as uh, these advances is in sciences, that parallel is there with religion. We're actually seeing religion change at the same speed, um, maybe not the same speed, but it's changing. I get what you're what you're referencing, and I would say that is true. There's this unification that's occurring. Um, so, how does modern science, uh, as you call it, illuminate the fundamental unity of this world religion or world religions? How are we going to, or how do you, would you expect, or what would you see, Will, about the unity of these religions coming together? It seems so far-fetched at this point, but let's just say, you know, 
Hinduism and Christianity and Islam and and uh, Judaism and all of these world leaders coming together, uh, Catholicism, uh, to make one united front with some commonalities, your commonality being love, um, which binds all this together. But all these different beliefs, uh, let's might as well throw Mormonism in there while we're at it. Yes, well, um, what I would say is that, as I said, in terms of this, if we apply that metaphor of relativity theory for a moment, what happened in Einstein's relativity theory was he discovered that once you recognize what's truly absolute, namely the, the laws of physics and, and the behavior of physical light, that's the same across all reference frames. That united um, all reference frames and revealed that seeming absolutes like space and time were ultimately malleable. And what I'm saying is the mm-hmm. same thing can happen in religion. Seeming absolutes of some of the religious dogmas and theologies are ultimately malleable. What's universal in religion is the fact of divine light and divine love. That is there across all the religions. And that the religions I agree then with be- you. Yeah, and the religions then become expressions. Yeah, they become expressions of the one divine light through the prism of divinity into different colors, and each color then represents a particular religion. So we have red light, yellow light, blue light. In a sense, we have different religions, and no one of them is superior to the other. They're all ontologically equal as expressions of the supreme divine light and divine love. And this well, is so, not just a metaphor. Know, this, is the, this is the living reality. Yeah, I happen to be watching a, a documentary that Bill Mayer did. And, you know, he comes from a Jewish and a Catholic background, parents right. married. You may have even seen it. And, you know, he goes around and he interviews all of these various people in all these religions. And he's an atheist, right? Um, right. So, what, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he did this for comedy, but the reality was, is that <clears throat> after one got done actually doing it. Actually, Bill Mayer should go interview you, to be honest with you, because you're about the only one that makes any sense. And here's the thing. Most of these spiritual leaders get so stuck in one belief that they they don't make any sense, Will. They get so um, trenched in that their way is the only way. And I think what Bill Mayer was trying to point out is that's not the way. What would you say about that? Well, I would agree that um, spiritual leaders get entrenched in one way, but I think this is equally true of science, and we need to recognize it's a fundamental kind of flaw of all human systems of thinking, and that getting stuck Mm -hmm. in religion is generally uh, getting stuck in theology. So what I would say um, in, in response to that is that, let me give you an example. Yeah, dude. It's it's, it's popular. It. It's fashionable today to criticize religion, to focus on the horrific things that have been done in religion. Find a few passages of scripture that are the least exalted, and then dismiss the entire religion. Let me give you an example of this kind of thinking. Let's take science. And let's note that, you know, physics gave us the hydrogen bomb and the nuclear weapons, which, you know, murdered, you know, how many people in a flash of light? And physics gave, uh, chemistry gave us the gas chamber, which, you know, was responsible for murdering six million or plus in the Holocaust. 
And biology gave us anthrax and germ warfare. These are all facts. Look at all the evil and death and destruction that's been wrought through these uh, technologies uh, from the different branches of science. Therefore, science is evil, and we throw it out. That is how shallow I I see the dismissal of religion today. And that's what I'm trying to counter. I'm not denying any of the evil that's been done in the name of religion. I'm saying that underneath that is a profound gift from these different traditions. And it is the path of the heart, which has been so lost, particularly in our materialistic culture, that focuses on outer forms as the sum total of reality, and it's not. And religions have developed this inner science of the heart that has been lost and we need to reclaim. And it's in that inner science of the heart where the religions are united as one. Amen on that. But, But on the flip side of the coin, Will, you have these super memes, which are beliefs that have been transferred from generation to generation, which are at the core of the foundation of challenges that we're facing as a civilization today. And these irrational beliefs and super memes are the things that really are in opposition to the changes that need to be made to do what you're talking about. Would you agree? Yes, and I would say that religion has answers. To give you one example, You know, we see the rise of hatred in the world now. I don't think anyone would deny that. Uh, Just in the last week, I think, we've seen quite a bit of hatred fueled just with the new uh, administration taking over in the United States. Yet there is an ancient principle. Dividing everything, but at this point, juncture in, in history, there's a lot of people that say that this is exactly what's needed to break down old systems. I, I I don't know if I concur 100% with that, but, you know, you can write anything off to anything you want to say, but go ahead and tell me what you believe with relation to these memes that have been transferred from generation to generation, which are actually impeding this the philosophy, which you're talking about, around having one universal path of divine love. Well, there's, that's what I'm saying. There are also memes in that regard. For example, the great teaching from the Buddha, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone. This is an ancient and universal law. Now, that was written by the Buddha in 500 BC, roughly, in the Dhammapada. That is a principle that holds now as it held 2,500 years ago, and it has been proven time and time again, as Gandhi said, tyrants always fall, love always prevails in the end, even though there may mm-hmm. be a period of very profound conflict and disturbance in the, in the process. I'm not denying the magnitude of the crisis we're in. I'm calling us to a higher profound engagement ah, with the power of love I in agree. the heart. So it's kind of like and I think- Martin. Yeah, go ahead. I think that's important, though, Will. In, in other words, uh, belonging to God, that's important. And I think you make such an important um, statement. And I'm glad there's people like you writing books like this this particular time, uh, the impact that you can make and, and get people to understand that. Now, use this term fractal in there. You know, if most people say, well, is this guy talking about the science of fracking for for uh, for?" For 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 oil, uh, or what is it? So in this fractal term, actually, it relates now to fractal geometry and holographic relate to ancient wisdom, alchemy, and spirituality. Explain to my listeners what you're actually talking about, because some of them aren't going to know. 
Yes, no, that's a very good point. And this goes back to your earlier question of what light does science shed on the unity of religions? And a fractal is, is a mathematical structure that's been discovered in the last 25 years or so. But it's something that we see all around in nature. It is a structure that contains within itself miniature replicas. So it's a little bit like Russian dolls. You know Russian dolls where you open the Russian doll and inside is a littler one and you open that and there's a smaller one inside of that and you keep going and you go all the way down you get this tiny little mm-hmm. doll that's a miniature replica mm-hmm. of the original. And we see this throughout nature. For example, uh, a leaf off of a tree often looks like a miniature tree. It has a little stem, which is like a miniature trunk, and you can see the little miniature branches. So the leaf is a fractal uh, microscopic replica of the entire tree. And throughout nature, we see these uh, systems of what are called in science self-similar scales or invariance, scale invariance. Now, here's the key of where this comes into application in religion. We have across the traditions these profound statements from Jesus, for example, saying, I and the Father are one. I and God are one. Or in Hinduism, there's this great saying from the, from the Upanishads, Atman is Brahman. The, Atman is the soul of the individual. Brahman is the spiritual essence of the entire cosmos. And we have this identity that the inmost essence of the human being is one with the essence of God. We see it also in Islam. The great Sufi saint Al-Halaj who proclaimed, I am the supreme reality. And by the way, he got the same treatment Jesus did. He was executed in Baghdad for proclaiming that. But what we find across the traditions, Judaism also, be still and know that I am God. This idea that the human being in inmost essence is one with the essence of God. And how can that be? And fractals show us how the infinity of God can be replicated in the depths of the human heart. And that's what I've really spelled out in detail in this book. Yeah, no, and and uh, I really do concur with you on this. I think, though, sometimes when we explain this this way, it makes it a little bit more interesting for the listeners out there. And I think you do have a very, very interesting point here that you're bringing across. So uh, on the same line with fractal, you talk about fractal consciousness illuminates the union of the soul with God. Um, what is that? It basically is that the soul is in a relationship to God the same way that a cell in your body is in relationship to your heart. So just consider for a moment. Every cell in your body, of which, you know, there are trillions, let's take one cell. That cell has its entire life only because of that pulse of the heartbeat that beats in that cell from moment to moment. And in that pulse, that cell is in precise alignment, union, and lockstep with your physical heart in in the left side of your chest. So the cell and the heart are bound up in that one remarkable mystery of the pulse of the heartbeat. Now that's a, so what I'm saying is there's a similar spiritual lifeblood in the heart of God, and that the soul, the human soul, is to the heart of God the same way that the biological cell is to your physical heart. There's a one-to-one correspondence. And the mystics are the ones who have realized that identity and have actually experienced the infinity of the heart of God in the depths of their own heart. 
And this is where fractals come in, because it's actually possible to experience the infinity of God in the gateway of the human heart, even though the human being seems like a finite creature. But in the depths of the heart, the human being becomes the infinity of God in the depths of their being. Well, so now look, I personally have a belief in God. Many of my listeners out there who listen to you may not. These are these non-theistic traditions such as Buddhism and Judaism and so on. What about this divine love in, in the situation where you're talking about Jews, you're talking about Buddhists, which don't have this even belief in God? Well, Jews certainly have a belief in God, uh, but you're right. Uh, well, Buddhists don't. Jains don't. Correct. In the same way, um, what what comes down what it comes down to is that the power of love is also expressed in Buddhism. I just quoted a quote from Buddhism about you know hatred never ceases by hatred but by love alone. Also, you have in Buddhism the whole concept of metta practice, which is a practice of the heart, of a kind of compassionate energy. And in Tibetan Buddhism, you have bodhicitta, uh, which is essentially heart wisdom. So, yet yeah, we don't quite have the concept of love in the same way, and we don't have the concept of God in the same way. But the bottom line in Buddhism is the Four Noble Truths, and that right. one basically, the first noble truth is that life is inherently dissatisfactory, and that the cause of that is attachment, and that the solution to that is basically the cessation of attachment, and then the fourth, fourth truth is, you know, the, the eightfold path that gets you there. That third noble truth is very similar to the process of not my will, but thy will, which is standard across the theistic traditions. You relinquish your own will and become an instrument for divine will. In Buddhism, you relinquish your own desires and become an instrument for the Dharma. And so that transformative mm -hmm. journey is really very similar across the traditions. And as Thich Nhat Hanh says very beautifully, there isn't that much difference between Buddhism and Christianity. It's really more uh, a matter of emphasis. So the actual transformative right. journey of the inner being of the human being is more or less very similar because you see those stages. You see the stages of purification, the stages of illumination, and the stages of union. And in the case of Christianity and Islam and, and Hinduism, it's union with God. In the case of Buddhism, it's union with the truth or dharmakaya, the highest state of spiritual realization. Well, it's interesting. Most of my listeners know that I'm a devotee of Self-Realization Fellowship and Hinduism and Christianity combined. And the reality is, is that, you know, what you're speaking about is so true to the monks that um, that actually administer the word of, of um, Self-Realization Fellowship. Now, if you were going to leave our listeners with anything, Will, and say, hey, here's my book, uh, Belonging to God, Spirituality, Science, and a Universal Path for divine of Divine Love. What would you, what main point would you like to make to them to say, hey, look, you know, uh, it, whether you get my book or not, it really doesn't matter. What matters is this is what you need to understand. That's beautiful. Thanks for the question. First of all, I didn't know about the Self-Realization Fellowship, so I just want to say yay. I, I'm a, a great fan of Yogananda, and I quote him extensively uh, in the book, and I think that he has some of the most brilliant writing on the synthesis between Christ and Krishna and between the Hindu and the Christian tradition in his writings. Um, but to get to the essence of it, what I would say is that what we most need in the world now is love 
and the power of the heart to bridge the divisions that the mind creates. And the mind creates these divisions in religion, it creates these divisions in politics and economics, and the heart has the power to bridge those gaps and gulfs and abysses that the mind creates. And so what I'm saying is that the religions in their depths have this power of love and have technologies to cultivate it and develop it. And that helps us not only connect with the deepest essence of who we are, but that helps us become a living spirit and healing presence in a world that's divided so that we can bring love to these uh, injustices and conflicts in the world. Martin Luther King said it very beautifully. He said, injustice and corruption will never be transformed by keeping them hidden, but only by bringing them out into the light and confronting them with the power of love. And that's my message for the world today. Let's bring uh, love to the injustices that we see all around us, and let's cultivate that power of love and become a living instrument of that power in the world. That's a beautiful message, and I hope for all my listeners that are out there um, paying attention at this point in the interview um, that you really get Will's uh, purpose for writing this book. Um, it is to unite this universe um, and all the souls living in it um, to, to, in a power of love, to come together and love one another. Um, I think that, as he said so eloquently, you know, our mind, our egos uh, get in the way, and we frequently want to be right. But when you really look at the true depth of every soul, um, it, we're all right when we see people with love. And so with that, I say, um, Will Keepin, thank you so much for uh, writing this book. Thank you for being a light out in the world. Uh, the book is called Belonging to God, Spirituality, Science, and the Universal Path of Divine Love. Uh, go to Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, your best booksellers. Um, I don't know, is it in a Kindle version as well? Um, yes, it is. Will? Yes, okay. it is. So download it, get it, um, read it. Um, go to his website, um, which we basically said you can find him at the pathofdivinelove.org. There you'll find more of the, of the recognition for this book, um, audio, video, Q&A, upcoming events, press releases, and anything else you want to know. Will, again, pleasure having you on the Inside Personal Growth uh, podcast program and spending a few minutes with my listeners about your book, Belonging to God. Thank you so much, Greg. It's been a joy and privilege to be on your show. Mm -hmm. 